everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast from the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and thank you so much for joining us. And we are wrapping up today a quick uh, three-episode series we've done, kind of walking our way through the Christmas story. Um, it's Christmas time as of this recording, and we're not really doing a very traditional Christmas series in our church on Sunday mornings this year. And it just felt like a good idea. Maybe just spend some time just kind of walking our way traditionally through some of the Christmas stories. So we spent some time talking about the angels visiting both Zachariah, the family of John the Baptist, visiting Mary, visiting Joseph. We talked about that in the first one. And then last week, just kind of talked about the very traditional journey to Bethlehem, the struggles that Mary went through, Mary and Joseph went through to get there and the, and the weird circumstances around where and how Jesus was born and the, and the purpose and the introduction of the shepherds and just kind of, again, your typical nativity scene kind of story. And we're finishing up this week with the story of the wise men or the magi, depending on, you know, how you grew up, what Bible translation you have. And so, and that we're going to be today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter two. And before we talk about this, I feel like I need to go on what is, what has become a traditional rant for me and for a lot of people. You, know, you got your wise men very often and you get your nativity set. It's got the, got the Jesus in the, the manger and Mary and Joseph is probably an angel floating around somewhere. You got the shepherds, you got some animals and you got the three wise men. And I think it, it, it I don't want to, I don't want to go so far that all of a sudden I become that guy. Oh, can't put the, you can't put the wise men in the nativity scene because they weren't there the night Jesus was born. And I've, and I've historically been that guy mostly because I think it's funny and it's a good bit, but it is, I do think it's important just to kind of understand kind of the chronology of all of this is that the wise men were not there that night. And we will see very, very clearly in the first couple of verses of Matthew chapter two, that the wise men were not there the night that Jesus was born. And, and so my joke has always been, this is that they came from the East, that the, my joke has always been that you should take the wise men uh, from your nativity set and put them somewhere else in the house, East of where your nativity set is. And, you know, you don't have to keep it to scale or anything. Just put them on the other side of the room, other side of the house, make it a good conversation piece. Um, I joke about that. People laugh. Ha 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 ha. I've been married. Uh, this will be like maybe our 29th Christmas together. And I've never successfully moved our wise men away from our nativity set in our house. And my wife just gives me that look. He's like, I don't even know your wife. What look are you talking about, bro? When I say your wife gives you that look, everybody knows what I mean. Anyways. So we're going to look at this story and it is, it's traditionally tied to, um, the Christmas story because Matthew doesn't really talk much about kind of the 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 traditional part with the shepherds and those things. He kind of moves past that. He goes kind of straight in Matthew chapter one with the, the angel visiting Joseph. And it just says, I mean, his birth narrative is essentially this. He did not consummate that marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I mean, that's it. That's all it says. And so then it goes into the story of the wise men. Verse one, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. And so... We don't really get that. And so it is, it is what he says when he thinks about the, the start of Jesus. You know, this is what Matthew focuses on. And, you know, and he was probably young enough. And so it's just kind of long time been associated with the Christmas story, which is, of course, fine. But put your nativity, set, separate him from your nativity set, put him on the east side of the house. All right, let's get into it. Matthew chapter two, starting verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, which again is kind of the, the, the fancy word, or traditionally wise men, right? 
from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, let's make sure we understand the context of this. So from what we know, it would seem that these uh, wise men, these kind of wealthy, influential, stargazer, maybe ruler type of people, people, kind of your upper class kind of, maybe maybe they were kind of mystical, wealthy astronomer slash astrologer types. Anyways, they are somewhere east of Israel and a star appeared in the sky and they saw the star in the sky and interpreted it to mean that there had been a king born in Israel. We don't have any um, evidence that anyone in Israel took that took this to saw the star and interpreted it in that way, but they did, which is a really interesting thing. Like this, is one of my favorite parts of the story is that somewhere these astronomer astrologer types had this tradition and had this understanding of a, if a certain type of star appeared, it would mean this, and so then they see it and they come to the understanding, having seen this star that there has been a king born in Israel. Like, just think about that for a second. Like, there was some point in which there was some prophecy made in this Eastern culture that if you see a star like this, for for them, if they came from the East, which would then have been in the Western sky for them, if you see this particular star, that means that a king is born in Israel. Because again, from wherever it is they are, the star is not going to be hanging over the country of Israel. Like what that would they even mean, right? Stars in the sky and it's not directly over a particular country. And so from where they were, there was some tradition that they had, some insight that God used, probably some pagan beliefs that they had perhaps, or maybe God visited them specifically in a vision he worked through their culture and their understandings of God who was to deliver a very specific message to them. And so they see this star in the east and they're like, wow, well, the king has been born. And because of that, they feel compelled to go and see the baby. Again, again, this you, you just see God's hand moving in the hearts of these magi, of these wise men. And so they naturally do what makes sense. They go to what was considered to be the capital city, and they're under Roman occupation. But as far as Israel being a province of the Roman Empire and the historical capital of the country of Israel, if a king has been born, where would you go? You would go to the palace. It only makes sense. So they go to the palace and talk to Herod. And Herod was the king of Israel, so to speak, but really was more just kind of a puppet king that was placed there by the Roman Empire, really kind of functioned more as you know, a, a figurehead, really, of someone to kind of make Israel feel like they had a measure of autonomy. I mean, he had no real power. Wasn't he wasn't a king in the most traditional sense of that. I mean, Caesar, in any sense that there was a king, it was Caesar. Caesar was the king, not, not King Herod. And so they go and they say, hey, guess what? We saw where somebody's been born, the king of the Jews. We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so King Herod knows he didn't have a son that was about to become the king. And so it kind of freaks him out. I mean, it would make sense that it, that it freaked him out. And so again, as we are placing this in Jesus's timeline, the star appears um, when Jesus is born. 
And again, this says after he was born is when this happens. And so they see Jesus, they see the star, and then they make a journey. You know how long it took him to get things ready for the journey, you know how long it took, but it's, and they go to Jerusalem. So let's just assume for us, sure, that it has been a few months. And so now, you know, Jesus is starting to, he's starting to, you know, he's again, he's not, not a baby. He's very likely not in the, not in the barn anymore, right? He probably, probably didn't spend months there after he was born. Anyways, verse three. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, which that's wild, right? It's he's, he's disturbed, which, which makes sense. But now all of Jerusalem is disturbed. Like, wh- why, w- why would they even know? Would imagine that the entrance of these wise men into their city was a big deal. And so that kind of goes to kind of whoever they were, they had such an elevated status that them, their presence in the city was a big deal. So whatever vibe they were giving off or whatever was known about them, was I'm sure there were traitors that came in all the time from the east to Jerusalem. This was not that. This was not traitors. These were people that like their presence there was known. Like, wow, what are these guys doing here? And so them coming from the east, the, this, the title Magi, the fact that the whole city now is kind of in on their being there and why they're there. All of this really just kind of is meant to kind of give us kind of a level of tension and excitement, maybe if you will, about who they are. And again, these, these are not just some random people that came from the East. So again, he's disturbed, King is disturbed, all Jerusalem is disturbed. Verse four, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judah, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Interesting thing here. I mean, this King Herod, whoever he is, was not, he just seemed like he wasn't a particularly religious person. I mean, the religious people, the, the religious leaders, they knew this, but King Herod didn't. So that's, that's a measure of significance. But it's interesting, too, that he immediately connected this with their religious tradition and gathered the priests and the teachers of the law. Like Something has happened, something where it seems like it's at the level of God is moving. I need to know if God has anything to say about this. If what these people are saying is true and what something significant like this has happened, where is it going to happen? And so um, find out Bethlehem. So verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they um, had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. All right, let's make sure we understand what's happening here. And I don't know, having not been there, I can only really speculate on some of this. But what it seems that what they saw the very first time was a legit star, an alignment of stars, some sort of some sort of alignment in in the actual heavens of some sort of celestial body or bodies that were coming together to form some sort of, again, some sort of astronomical phenomenon that ended up being a sign for them. So it was a, a certain level of brightness, a certain shape or configuration that they saw that was in the heavens. But now, as they are heading there, being sent to Bethlehem on the orders kind of of the king and under the knowledge of the chief priests, 
They are now headed to Bethlehem. But, you know, Bethlehem is not, you know, it's, it's not five people, but it's not five million people. They don't know, they don't know, where, they're, they don't know where they're going. And they see essentially then some version of the thing that they saw in the sky is now kind of acting as like a beacon for them. And so obviously, I wouldn't say that a literal star is now um, guiding them because, I mean, the stars are actually huge. But again, something that looks like that functioning as a light, a beacon for them is now appearing in the sky, is now appearing for them in a way that is not just something that is in the sky at night, but a smaller thing that is guiding them in the town of Bethlehem, to the town of Bethlehem and to the right house. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So there's a lot going on here. First of all, we've got the Magi being called secretly by Herod. Herod secretly calls them and tells them this information about where Jesus would be found and tells them to go and find him and then report back to me. He doesn't want everybody to know that this is what is happening. This is kind of what's going on. My guess is he also, hey, when you leave, don't tell him that you're going to, to go find him. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want Jesus to be found publicly. It's very sneaky, very suspicious. You know, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to be a big deal. I just want you guys to kind of leave. It makes it feel like maybe things are unsettled or uncertain. You're going back disappointed. But I need you to go and find him and tell me about it. You can just tell that King Herod has suspicious motives at this time. And he is not excited at all about the prospect because this would feel like a power struggle to him. He is someone not in his lineage is not going to become the king, but someone outside of his lineage is going to start making a play for his um, place of power as kind of the puppet king there of Israel. And so he's got sinister plans for them, but the Magi, I mean, they don't don't seem to be particularly suspicious about it. And then God shows up in a big way and, and gives them this beacon and it takes them right to where the kid is. And it says that their response was to worship him. And so we go from, they recognize, hey, there's a, there's a king in Israel. And maybe in their beginning of their journey, they saw, hey, we just want to, this is kind of a really cool deal. And God kind of revealed this to us. We want to make some sort of tribute to him. But somewhere either in the prophecy or whatever that led them to understand what this star was, somewhere along in this journey, or maybe somewhere around the time that God supernaturally put a version of that star in front of them, to act as a beacon, there was some point along the way where they understood we are not coming here to pay honor to a king of a foreign nation. I mean, you might would say when they saw him, they rejoiced and they they bowed down in honor to him. Like they bowed and they and they worshiped him. They recognized either, but through some manner of divine revelation, they recognized the deity and divinity of Jesus. And then they gave him all of these overwhelming treasures of, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, these, these um, gold, you know, obviously being a measure of, of currency and then spices and ointments, perfumes, these kinds of things. Very expensive. So again, we're just kind of getting a, a, a greater elevated sense of these are not just some random. These, these were incredibly wealthy, powerful people from the East 
that God made a divine revelation to to let them know that Jesus was coming. And 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 the and the thing that I want to see, I want us to see behind this, in order for this story to make any sense at all, we've got God working behind the scenes in non-traditional ways to make people understand who Jesus is. And people ask these kinds of questions all the time. Is God working outside of the normal means by which to try to reach people? And we see this, and we see other examples of it too, where God is working outside of traditional means to kind of reveal himself to people. But as he's revealing himself to these men, to these kings, magi, wise men, he is pointing them to Jesus. He's not just trying to make them better guys in whatever religion or moral code that they follow. He is trying to bring them to Jesus. And so God is working in a lot of different ways to change and stir the hearts of people. I think we will always find that in that, he is trying to draw people to who Jesus is. And in their case, literally drawing them to him physically. And so now Jesus, who is, you know, born and under very humble circumstances, had no means by which to provide housing for themselves at their birth and are, you know, at, at you know, his... I don't know if you stepped that. Anyway, Joseph was a tradesman, right? He's a, he's a carpenter. He worked with his hands. Not, not very wealthy. Didn't have any resources. And now all of a sudden that they do, which really makes interesting, this next part of the story, verse 13, when Herod realizes that the, the Magi aren't coming back. Verse 13, when they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Again, which makes this kind of kind of date about the time that this was. This is probably at least a year after Jesus' birth. And it's like, you just make me safe. Let's go two years, right? Then that was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And so we see God recognizing and anticipating the evil thing that Herod was about to do and provides for Jesus and his family the necessary resources that they will have. And they go to Egypt. They didn't have the resources to go to Egypt. They didn't have the resources to live in Egypt. But God provided the resources that they need in order to protect them from this thing that was about to happen to them as a family. And so we just have this really cool picture of the, of the divine hand of God protecting Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. So, what is, what, so what, what's going on? Why the inclusion of this story? Because again, this is very, it's a very different story than the story of the shepherds. And so in, in the book of Luke, there's a real emphasis on Jesus as humble one reaching out to the meek and the lowly. So we, we, we get Mary versus Zachariah. We get the shepherds being the first one to see Jesus and the first one people to talk about Jesus. We see that theme. In the book of Matthew, which is a, we'll just call it a significantly more Jewish book with a lot more, we've already seen it in these few verses, a lot more references to fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew's primary theme is going to be to connect him to prophecy. And to connect him to the prophecy is really to connect him to um, 
Messiah as king. And so we, it, it starts off with a royal genealogy in Matthew chapter one. We immediately then at the end, right, really talk less about Mary and talk more about Joseph, even though not his literal dad would have been thought of as his dad and making sure that we connect him, that Joseph was in the lineage of David and that Joseph is a good and honorable man. And now we move to Matthew chapter two and we see that these rulers, these wise, powerful men from the other side of the world come to pay homage and to worship him. And so we get this kind of Jesus that's this next level kind of king, that he is a fulfiller of prophecy. He's connected to Jewish royalty and is being worshiped by people from far off. And so this story is, is, is included here, again, but not because one's true and one's not. I believe all of these stories are true, but the, the inclusion of this one is to elevate a certain different aspect of who Jesus is. His, again, his connection to David as king and his, his need for worship, his deity. I mean, there's just all of these kind of powerful, strong images. But even in that, even, if, uh, even as we are trying to make an emphasis of Jesus Christ as king, we still see some of the very interesting compare and contrast that we saw a couple episodes ago. We're talking about Zachariah versus Mary. We've got the religious leaders finding out about all of this. Hey, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. None of them go or are curious. You've got the Jewish king who finds out about this and only feels threatened by it. And then you've got these guys from the East, clearly not outside of God's chosen people, who God is speaking to directly and drawing them, and they are the ones that worship. They are the ones that give. So even in this elevation of Jesus beyond just kind of humble baby born in a barn to son of God, king of kings, even in that, we still see this theme that we will see in all of the Gospels of it is the unexpected and the least likely ones that ultimately find faith in Jesus. It was not the religious leaders. It was not, the, it was not King Herod. It was, it was foreigners. It was Gentiles. It was people who were not supposed to be. The people who knew where Jesus was supposed to be born did not care that Jesus was born. The people who had no idea are the ones who are drawn to him and worship. And so again, we're like we we see this and kind of the the what stories you choose to include or exclude, what are the themes that Matthew is trying to bring out? Again, he's trying to bring out this the the the, the power, the regal nature of who Jesus is, but again, as with all of the gospels, the that that the hope of Jesus Christ is going to be embraced by unexpected people in unexpected ways and the people that we should expect to understand, to believe, to put their faith in seem to be the ones that are the least interested. And that is a primary theme, again, of all the gospels. And it really should, it should, it should give us pause. Are we, um, when we think of God entering into our lives to entering into our world, do we consider it a threat? Do I have, do I have my, my, my world already in order and, and my religion and what I believe is very tidy and it's, what I, and it's what I think and God comes in and he disrupts that? Is that a threat? 
Or is the disruption and entrance of God's presence into my life something worthy of travel and sacrifice and worship and giving? Am I one of the expected people that too often tends to reject? Or am I the person who is always ready and humble and and ready to be surprised and challenged by an awesome God who's wanting to do incredible things in and through me? So even in the powerful, even in the wealthy, we see that unexpected outsider is the one that seems to be drawn to Jesus. And so for many of us who have been perhaps religious our whole life, who have been believed the right things our whole life, I think there are a lot of these stories in the gospels that really need to be a challenge to us. Because there are times like you get confronted with something in God's word, you get confronted with something about who Jesus is, about what God's wanting to do. And it feels like a threat to the little system that I have built about who God is supposed to be and what I'm supposed to believe and what I'm supposed to do. I've got it all figured out right now. And I don't have an openness to something new that God is wanting to do in my heart and my life. And suddenly the entrance of God in a new way into my heart and life becomes a threat rather than a blessing. And so let us, again, as we, as we, we are getting ready for Christmas, let us, let us, let's come into it with an openness of some really cool things that God is wanting to do in our lives. So I hope you've been able to join us for all three of these weeks, these episodes, as we've been kind of walking our way through the Christmas story and so glad that you've been a part of this. And we would love for you to be a part of our church if you're not. And you can find us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. Let us know that you're listening. If you're local, we'd love to see you and get all the details there. If you're not, you can still join us for streaming. You can let us know that you're coming. Uh, We would love to know who you are, any way that we can help, serve, love you. Please let us know. And again, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thanks for joining us.